Every spirit I make has a story. Some stories are long, some are complicated, some are very straightforward. This one is pretty long because it's about my white rum. Welcome to Copper Parrot. My name is James. I'm the co-founder and distiller of Island Gateway Distilling. I make rums. See, the white rum, you might think, oh, that's a simple product, right? It's just clear. You don't do anything to it. You just ferment, distill it. You say just fermenting. Fermenting rum is pretty difficult to get it proper and right and use proper notes. And I'm going to explain to you all why and talk about my journey. See, when I first started distilling, call it nine years ago, I had no concept of rum. I was drinking a lot of whiskeys, doing single malts. Like most people in Texas, I was like, hey, I'm going to open a whiskey distillery. At one point, a guy gave me a gallon of molasses. And when you first start distilling, it's good to distill pretty much everything you can just to get a feel for it. So I made I made rum. And after I made it, I was like, is this what rum tastes like? <laughs> this is crazy. This is interesting and bold and, and fruity. And I didn't mean do anything to it. I just I fermented it and I distilled it. I, you know, like a pot still. So I buy some rums and I, I try a lot of craft rums in Texas, white rums. And they're all kind of flat, kind of boring. There are a couple I liked, so I'm not saying everyone sucked. But I just wasn't seeing what I, I thought I had made my first shot. And we're, we're going to be honest for a second here. That first rum wasn't amazing. Like, it wasn't lightning in a bottle, but it was interesting. Because I'm telling you, the first time you distill a rum, if you ever get distilling, it's not going to be great. It might be okay, it might be fine, but it's not going to knock your socks off. If, and if it does, either you got lucky or you maybe you're a savant. But I made this rum, and I wasn't seeing what I wanted to see in Texas market. So I said, like, you know what? By golly, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make rum. And I go on a tear. I try every clear spirit. I try clear tequilas. I try, you know, all this kind of stuff. And Because I, I didn't want to be so narrow in my focus. I didn't want to think, well, I'm going to choose an island. I'm going to choose Jamaica or Haiti or, you know, Martinique. I'm going to make those styles. Wow, those are great rums. Like, that's not the idea of opening your own distillery. When you open your own distillery, you want to put your stamp on it. You want to go, this is a James Davidson rum. And so I consumed everything I could, anything from whiskeys to gin to tequila to bourbon, just anything. Now, not all that translates to white rum, but it's in the back of my mind just rolling around. And I developed this really great buttery rum. I was like, yeah, this is great. This is bold. There's a lot of texture to it. And then we opened the distillery. And for some reason, I got convinced that I needed to go weird with it. That I needed, no, like, that's great, but you should do a completely different use than you used to. You should. <laughs> and I, so I don't know why. And I did, right? Like, this is definitely partially a story about me falling down and messing up. Another thing that changed was the molasses. See, I had been buying molasses from bakery supplies, and a bakery supply molasses is way different from a molasses you get from a refinery. Now, can you get the same molasses? Sure. But if I tell a refinery, hey, I want a black strap, which means very little to no sugar in it, that same name on a bakery supply molasses is completely different. And the first rum we came out with professionally, commercially, or silver rum, was smoky. It was smoky and tobacco-y and had like a leathery pastry vibe. It's honestly a freaking piece of art. 
but it was so far from what I had first created. But I was really into it. I was like, man, this is great. I thought like to myself, like this is unique. I can, I can sell this as a premium product. Like people will love it. And people came by our little distillery in the country and were not very happy. Now we had a number of customers who did like it. A lot of people who were really into scotches or mescals were like, this is great. This is like something I never heard of before. Try like, I love it. But the majority of customers are like, man, I really am looking for a good mojito or daiquiri or painkiller. And this made interesting cocktails, but they didn't really nail that feeling, right? Like we got to know where a customer is coming from and like honor that customer and really give them something that works in their traditional cocktails. And, and we were failing at that with the, with the silver rum. So pretty fast, I said, okay, this isn't working. I'm gonna go back to the yeast I like. I'm gonna go back to that yeast I thought was great. I made a lot of rums with it. Like why did I change in the first place? You know, like I don't have a good reason. And I made the white rum. So I got a new label, made a white rum. And for a while we sold both. We sold the white and the silver, which confused people to no end. And the white rum I made was really good. It was kind of herbally. It, it, it had vague notes of agricole, even though it was industrial molasses-based rum. I can tell you it was the molasses. The molasses is great, but it was like a black strap. It just didn't have those buttery vanilla notes. It had all been cooked out. And so we, we, I really tried to make it work, though. I really tried to go, hey, look, no, this is interesting, this, that, and the other. And eventually, we're like, look, this is not making the mojitos people want. I said, you know what? You're right. Back to drawing board. And I go to a actual bacon gray molasses. I guess me a little sweeter and I ferment that. And by golly, I made a rum that tasted a lot like the rum I made before I ever went professional. You know, it's, it's kind of, those, it's just one of those stories of remembering like, Hey, I actually did make something that was great. And I didn't need to change it, but I was convinced to change. It. I was convinced like, Oh no, it needs to be crazy and weird. And and like, don't get me wrong, I love crazy and weird. Like I go to distillery and they throw some at me like, oh, here's our pear barrel single malt. I'm like, yeah, give it to me. But when a customer comes to you and you've never seen your brand, you're in the middle of nowhere, your location doesn't look that great anyway. And you're like, yeah, this is terrible. And we never really got terrible, but we had a lot of people like that don't understand this, which is totally fair. But now, now we had a white rum that was buttery and big and and it made pretty awesome drinks. However, there's another problem. And this is a story of problems. This is a story of product development. This is a story of really finding your voice. It was too big. And to me, I, I thought that was a crazy thing to say. What is too big? How can you have too big of a product? Me, when I open a bottle, I want to smell across the room. I want to feel like a genie just popped out of that thing and the room's filling with smoke. Like I want to get that vibe. Well, apparently, I'm, I'm alone in that, apparently. When people were making cocktails, like a traditional mojito, and they would add a normal amount of rum, it tasted rummy. It was overpowering in the cocktails. And we got feedback from restaurants who were using it to make hundreds of cocktails in a weekend. They're like, customers are turning the drink. We don't want your rum anymore. And that's a problem, right? It's a problem. Like, I can tell people all day long, like, no, you're doing it wrong. But really, when I'm making a product, I've got to make something that the general public can take home and use. They can go, I like this. I can make cocktails I already make. I can just swap it out. Not everybody can become a mixologist, right? 
Now, every buyer can be expected to change their entire menu for your product. It's, it's unreasonable, one, and it's kind of rude otherwise. So I took the exact same formula and I toned it down. I toned it down just a little bit. So it was still buttery, still vanilla, still like has a nice structure to it. And then it makes the perfect mojito now. Like it slides into the cocktail, supports it, but doesn't overpower it. And what we actually do a lot of times, we go to bars and restaurants, we'll bring a bottle and we'll sample them. And we'll go, hey, you, have, you make a mojito? Make a mojito with ours and make a mojito with what you're using right now. And side by side, ours is always better. Because that little bit of that structure, a little bit of that structure gives you what you need to make an awesome mojito. And the white rum, I mean, this is a story of the white rum. It's, it's a nine-year story. But I'll tell you the, why the white rum is so important. And some people don't agree, like, oh, who cares? It's white rum. It is my profession boiled down to a T. Ton, pun intended, because I'm a distiller. When you ferment and you distill your white rum or your white products, there's nowhere to hide. And I don't filter my products. I don't filter this white rum. So you're going to taste my fermentation. You're going to taste my distillation. You're going to taste my technique to a T. And if I'm wrong, if I do a bad job, you will taste that as well. No, so I don't, I try not to do a bad job, <laughs> obviously. So I would say from the first distillation all the way to the white rum we have today, we're looking at probably six years of fiddling, changing. And I'm telling you, that is the longest product development of all my products and probably ever will be. But it's so important. So I hope you enjoyed the story, guys. Cheers. Cheers.